Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Um, so this is how I decided to um, run this series, or how I decided to uh, for this series to go. I wanted to picture that if someone came and knocked on my office door and they just said, I'm trying to decide who to nominate to be an elder for this congregation or who to be a deacon for this congregation, I need some help. I wanted to think, what would my response to them be? Obviously, I'm not going to say, well, here's who I think you should nominate. That's not what I would do. What I would want to do is I'd want to say, okay, I want you to think of a certain type of man that we want to serve our congregation, okay? And in that process, this is kind of how I came up. This is kind of what I decided. You know, we, we, I preached a series on Deuteronomy not that long ago. And the reason why I picked the title Right Standing is because often we use the churchy word righteousness a lot. We'll say righteousness. Which, if you break it down, just means, are you in right standing? And it doesn't just mean if you're righteous, you are in right standing with God. That's what we're going to talk about today. But righteousness in the Bible is you are not a righteous person if you are not in right standing with God. You are not in right standing with your church community and your family. And you are not in right standing with your neighbors and with others. Okay? That is what it means to be righteous. Like I said in Deuteronomy, if you are great with God, but you are cruel to your neighbor, you're not righteous. If you are great with your neighbor, but you and God are not on good terms, meaning you are not honoring God as God, fearing the Lord, you're not righteous. You with me? It is all interconnected. You cannot separate them. So this week, we're going to be talking about being in right standing, choosing leaders, choosing men who are in right standing with God. Next week, we're going to be talking about choosing leaders who are in right standing with their personal family. And also, I'm going to talk mostly focus on on this family. And then the third week will be choosing men who are in right standing with others, with the lost, with those who are our neighbors, with those who are the least of these. Okay? Does that sound like a plan? Um, all right. So the first thing I want to do is I'm going to, t- I'm going to pick, I picked three passages that in my opinion all discuss this idea of what does it look like to be in right standing with God. And we're going to discuss all of them. So the first one is from Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so, there you go. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. All right, I am going to... First you need to know, this passage applies to everyone. This is not just for choosing elders and deacons at your church. This is for everyone. But for the context of our purposes today, I want you to think about this passage and this idea that... Uh, This is something I struggle with personally, but I am a sponge type of person. I am someone that just sponges up whatever it is that I'm interested in. I think about my cousin. My cousin, his name's Race, and his name is Race because his his, uh, great-granddads, that's their initials, R-A-C-E, is pretty cool. But I remember one of my favorite things about Race is that we would hang out, I'd go back home to my life, and then next Thanksgiving when I saw him, he had a new thing that was his thing. 
He was going to be a professional golfer when he was in seventh grade. Go back, you know, go through the year, then come back for Thanksgiving. He's going to be a professional dirt bike rider next Thanksgiving, okay? Everything's dirt bikes. Dirt bike everything all over his room, riding dirt bike. Okay, go back. I see him the next Christmas. He's going to be a rodeo bull rider, all right? All right, then I come back. The next thing's CrossFit, okay? Then I come back. The next, you get what I'm saying. I always felt like it was a new... I, I couldn't wait who I was going to meet every year. Now... I will say race is my clothes. He was one of my groomsmen. We're very close. But that was a lot of that was when he was like a teen. But we still do this. I still do this. If you look at my YouTube subscriptions, the shows that I watch, you can tell what I'm into right now. I got a lot of fishing YouTube subscriptions. I guess I'm trying to be a fisherman right now. Okay? I got a lot of building nice fancy dining room table YouTube subscriptions. I guess I'm like in a woodworker phase right now. Okay? And you all have gone through this. You know, you've had your moment where you're really into a certain sport that maybe where you throw a disc at chains or whatever, you know? You're maybe really into scrapbooking. You're maybe really into... And all those things happen because whatever you're kind of interested in, whatever you choose to plug yourself into, it starts to have an impact on your life. I am a bandwagon Texas Rangers fan, okay? I didn't pay any attention to the Rangers when they weren't very good, so I haven't paid attention to the Rangers for a long time. But this year, Catherine, I'm, Catherine and I are at my, her parents' house, and I'm like, she's like, what are you doing? I'm trying to see if the Rangers game is on TV. She was like, why? I was like, well, they're doing pretty good. I'm paying. Anyway, before you know it, all my podcasts the past two weeks are Locked On Rangers, Locked On MLB. I'm, I'm listening to the podcast of the team that lost because I like hearing their fans be sad that they lost to the Rangers. I'm, I'm, I am sponging it all up because that's what I'm plugged into at the moment. And so this is the question that is being asked of Psalm 1. This is the question that, that the, the psalmist is trying to say is, are you like a tree? You, you all are like a tree. But the question is, what are you planted into? What is your source? The wise, good life is someone whose source is the Word of God, whose source is the fear of the Lord. It, we all have a source. We're all going to sponge something up. But the question is, are you continually, perpetually making your life about drawing from and pursuing God? The first thing that I want to look for in a spiritual leader for our congregation is someone who is consumed with being close to God and planting himself by living water. Does that mean that every single day they are perfect? They're constantly like, oh, I don't watch... I don't, I don't watch anything on TV. I just kneel on my living room floor and pray all day long. I'm not saying that you have to be that person. But you and I can think about people in our lives where we go, is that person planted by God? Is that person consumed and infatuated with wanting to be closer to God? I think that we can, we can think of people in our life like that. Okay. Because I believe whatever your input is will have a direct impact on what your output is. Because Psalm 1 says that. A tree planted by streams of living water, their output is that their leaf does not wither. Their output is that they bear fruit in their season. A person whose output or input is bad is like their leaves just wither and they blow away with the wind. So, when I think about what would be the best thing for this congregation, for an elder or a deacon, it is someone that I think, are they in right standing with God by constantly making God their source? The second passage I want to read from is from 2 Corinthians. Before I read, I want to give you a little background. The Corinthian letters are famous because uh, there's a lot of 
you can feel, especially the Second Corinthians one, you can feel that there's a lot of drama that's been going on between Paul and the church. We learn that they have been going through some very difficult times. We know part of the difficult times stems from the fact that the church in Corinth is starting to question whether or not Paul is fit to be their leader. Okay? They're starting to say, is this really a guy that we want to follow? He was poor. He, with a manual labor job. He was beaten and often homeless. He was, according to the Bible, not really a great public speaker. And as the church keeps meeting these more impressive, well-spoken, wealthy Christian speakers that Paul likes to call the super apostles, they started to kind of get embarrassed like, oh man, our, our leader is Paul and he's like kind of homeless. He's kind of not the greatest speaker. That's who our leader is. And so Paul, as he writes in 2 Corinthians, he kind of challenges this. This is one of our first examples of it. For some say, he's quoting them, speaking their own words, Paul's letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 30, Paul says, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more... I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I'm going to pause there for a second. Everything that he just listed Besides the, the first part. The first part, he says, are they Hebrews? I can, I'm, I'm that. Are they Israelites? I'm that. Are they Abraham's descendants? I've got all those credentials. But everything he, else he just listed, you and I read as credentials. We're like, dang, this guy is doing so much for the kingdom. Man, look at how much he's suffering. How much To the Corinthian church, all of that is a sign that this guy is not fit to be an apostle. Because if he really were a good apostle and really God had, he had God's favor, he would not be going through all of this because they still had that mindset of if you have God's favor, you're not going to be going to jail a lot. You're not going to be homeless. You're going to be wealthy and healthy and wise, right? The prosperity gospel, right? And so he's saying all these things like, yeah, you're right. I have, I have been homeless. I have been naked. I have been beaten. I've been persecuted. I've been put in jail. And they're all going, yeah, that's why we're saying you're not fit to be our leader. And then he says, who is weak and I do not feel weak? Okay, y'all are saying I'm weak. Oh, I feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly struggle with sin? I do not inwardly burn. But he says this, if I must boast though... I will boast. Y'all can boast about your credentials. I will boast in the things that show my weakness. So this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, if people want to brag about things, not, no one can brag about their credentials to be their leader more than Paul. 
Now, to most of the audience, these things they, that we marvel at, they see as weaknesses. But Paul says, I'm not going to brag about my credentials because that is not what makes me a Christian leader. Instead, I will brag about my inadequacies and my weakness because it is there that the mercy and grace and love of Jesus are the clearest. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. But he said to me, my grace is God speaking to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the second thing I want you to think about with this right standing with God, when you choose leadership based on impeccable credentials, you undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. When you choose leadership based on impeccable credentials, you undermine the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to lead the church in Corinth. And what they're saying is, we've met these new super apostles that have impeccable credentials, Paul. And you don't. So our, we don't really want you to stay as our leader. We kind of want these people to be our leader. And he's saying, when you focus on those things that make them superior, you undermine the gospel. Well, Drew, how do they undermine the gospel? Because in all of 2 Corinthians, Paul is trying to say that the cross is the ultimate paradox. The things that the world saw as disqualifications for Jesus to truly be divine, to truly be the Messiah, His humility, no way a, a true king would be humble. His suffering, no way a true divine God would suffer. His poverty, no way a true divine Messiah would be poor. All of those things are actually Jesus' greatest characteristics for being God's anointed one. His suffering is the thing that defines him as our Messiah. So the cross is flipped upside down. The credentials for a Messiah that the world expected, the credentials for a Messiah that are real, God has turned them upside down. And Paul is saying the same thing happens when you choose leaders. The qualifications that the world and often our churches put on leaders are poor barometers for leaders. And the disqualifications are often the things that Paul is saying, I am made strong because God works in my weaknesses. I have found that the first person to say, well, my resume for being an elder or deacon is impeccable, is probably the first person you should not nominate to be an elder or a deacon. And the first person to I, that I hear say, I really don't feel worthy of this calling, is the person you should nominate. Okay? I just want you to think about that. The third thing. Let me preface this first. Often, the way we treat our elder selection processes is we ask this question. Who of our men in this church are perfect? Who has no imperfections? Or, I've heard plenty of churches, especially ones that are our size, go, well, we don't have any elders. Well, why not? Well, there's no man in the, the congregation that's good enough to be an elder. Have you heard anyone say this before? I know churches that don't have elders because they say, well, none of them are qualified. And we do this thing. I, I'm not bashing you if you've ever done this, but I'd encourage you not to do this. We do this thing where we say, I want a list of every baptized male in the church. And then we read the first name and we go, oh, well, have you seen their kids? Oh, well, have you? Oh, well, oh, well you know, you know what happened when they were 20, right? Oh. And we check them off. We focus on, are they perfect or not? And I'm trying to tell you 
this third thing about being in right standing with God is that the first step to being a leader is being in right standing with God. And the first step of being in right standing with God throughout Scripture is saying, I am not perfect and I will never be. But praise God, His grace is sufficient for me. So, first step to being chosen to be a leader is to be in right standing with God. First step to being in right standing with God is to think, I am not good enough. Okay? So let me read this. 1 John 1, 8-10. If we claim to be without sin, if we claim to be perfect, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will purify us from all of our not right standing with God. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and His word is not in us. So, let's be real careful before we say, well, I'm nominating this person because they're perfect. Because that sounds like someone that God is not in. Okay? Leaders should be aware of their inability to live one day without God's grace. I wanted to put up here that a leader should be the first person to say, I am a sinner and I'm in need of God's grace. But the reason I didn't put that is because often people say that when they're living in sin. When they're like doing something that's sinful and we, and we say, you know, that's not good for you. They're like, listen, listen, I'm just a sinner. You know, I'm in need of God's It's like a cop-out. Hey, I'm just human. I'm just a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. But leaders are the ones that are the first people to go, I honestly cannot make it one day, one breath, without God's grace. The reason why we take the Lord's Supper every week is because every week we're reminded, I am not sustained. I cannot keep going without this bread and this cup that allows me to keep on going. Because if it were just up to me, I would not be able to do it. This is not an excuse to keep on sinning, but it is an awareness of our inability to live without God's grace and His guidance. So those are the three things I want you to think about today. The three, as you think about and as you consider. Like I said, let's maybe try not to start with a list of all the men, but let's start with a blank piece of paper. And I want you to sit at home and go, when I think about men in our church who are planted by God, who really care about wanting to be God to be their source, who do I think of? When I think about men, then I go, listen, they're not someone that has impeccable credentials, but they're someone that's leaning on God's grace all the time. I'm going to write those men that I think of. When I think about the people who know that they're the first one to say, I'm not worthy of being some elevated pedestal status of, oh, they're an elder. Think of those people and try and write their names down, okay? Next week, we'll talk about what it means to be in right standing with our church family. But if any of you have anything that you'd like prayers about, if anything that you, you might be saying, I want God to be my source. I want God to be the one who, who is constantly giving me the breath that I need because I know I can't make it, then we'd love to talk to you while we stand and while we sing this closing song.